Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Like putting him to sleep. It's not not the end of Pet Cemetery. Every time I put this damn dog down, I bury it in the Pet Cemetery, it comes back. Is he just not cooperating today? No, he just has trouble sleeping sometimes. Oh, that's right. You said he's got he's got the same problems you got. Yeah. Um, did you go on adventures today, or was that old Instagram pictures I saw? I did not go on any adventures today. Okay. I sat alone old. quietly in my uh, home office today. Oh, didn't have to go to work in the office? No, not until tomorrow morning. Okay, these pictures are from three days ago. That makes sense. Oh, okay. I was just telling Noah, like a friend of mine works at Caterpillar here in town. And after COVID, he only had to go into the office like once a week. They've slowly over time been upping that. So now he's up to three times a week. And he found out it literally was just because the the land that the building is on that his office is in, like dramatically decreased in value because there was nobody in that building. And so now they're making people go back to the office just to drive the the worth of the land up. And yeah. Not even for the reason that, like they're going to sell it because they're not. It's just they need those land value. Yeah, to go up. Yeah, I don't know. I suspect part of why I'm back in the office is similar, and I also have intense fear right now that I'll be going back to the office more. So yeah, it sucks. As is said by somebody who goes to the office every day. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was I was getting ready to say we're in the office every day, and it's all right. <laughs> I don't, this is a problem. I told my therapist this once because I was feeling like very disconnected from a lot of people for a little bit, just because like, I don't know, like my friends, like my local friends were not like reaching out to do shit. And I'm like, so the, the reason I I'm thinking that I feel like lonely sometimes is like, I go to work. I don't talk to anybody. I just put my headphones on, do all my shit and then go home. And I mean, sometimes I have to talk to people. So I will, but there's not a lot of like camaraderie. I'm mainly just like, yeah, stop talking to me so I can do my shit. And then I come home and I don't talk to anybody. And I pretty much go through my entire week that way. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh yeah, well that makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, it does. I eventually got over it, but I was, I was going to really say, it's kind of why you got to do like, I've got my you shit I do throughout the week. Yeah. Like my, uh, game nights and chess club and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, I do two podcasts a week. Yeah, but they, they, like this is different. Like, because <laughs> yeah, it's socializing, but it's also homework. Sure. 
and and it's not in person. There's there's something different about like being in person with yeah. people. Yeah, there's times where I wish I had friends that I saw in person, but I don't know how to make friends, so I've just kind of given up on that dream. This is weird. Are you making new friends, Noah? Yeah. Since you just moved? Yeah, all the time. God, God damn it. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. Well, once, like, once since, again, since, I, I do stuff. So I have a and d group, and I do board game night, and I do chess club every Sunday. And oh, That sounds complicated. No, it's not. It's just you just find shit you like, and you just and there's a group out there doing it. I mean, you're a writer. Find a local writer meetup group and go share your fucking short story shit with a bunch of other people who like to write. Yeah, but writers are fucking idiots. <laughs> it's, I, I include myself in that statement. Uh, I don't know. Or you got to pick up. I mean, the the biggest problem is like you got to pick up hobbies. Like all my hobbies. I picked up as coping mechanisms whenever I was like a teenager because I wasn't very good at like socializing and talking to people and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I started playing D and D because that kind of forces you to do that. Mm -hmm. And it forces you to do it in a way that's like structured and safe, if that makes sense. Yeah. I used to play D and D on a couple of podcasts that never ended up coming out. That's true. Maybe we should try that again. One that uh, Scott ran. Wait, a podcast but, Scott ran fell apart somehow. I know. That doesn't make any sense. He at some point decided, yeah, I'm. I don't want to do this anymore. And then one that Noah ran, but it was only me and that other guy, and it was, it was, it was, it wasn't very exciting. Yeah, yeah. That's the the problem is is you, I think to do it on a podcast, you got to have the right energy. Yeah, and that's that's kind of hard to get. Well, if anybody knows anything about me, it's high energy. Why are we always starting the podcast off with depressing conversations about what's wrong? And anybody like because we're goddamn so? adults. Oh, right. That. Well, this time it's because I haven't seen my therapist for a couple of weeks because we're moving to once a month now because he thinks I'm oh. doing well. So we have to cover that void now for you. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> you weren't going to check with us before you just started assuming we were going to take over. <laughs> I guess not. Uh I'm just saying, sometimes doing a podcast is hard, Doug. And sometimes so, Brian, I just, last, I just, last week we talked about you writing down some of these feelings in a journal. Did you did you do that? No, I did not. Yeah. But, and, and why do you why do you think you didn't do that? Because <laughs> I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, this is a real conversation I've had with my therapist, by the way. I, I um, know. I've seen a therapist before. <laughs> um. I was going to say, doing a podcast is hard, though. Sometimes, you know, I just wish there was people out there that would pick the shows for us. It would make it so much easier. Depressing segue. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so as Doug said, that Jeff said, it's Fanuary, even though we're starting a week late, because Doug doesn't know how to read a calendar correctly. Because Doug trusted Brian to read the calendar correctly. No, 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 no. Um, so we're doing uh, user submitted uh, fans, if you will, um, suggestions for topics. And Sean recommended doing a Quaid brother double feature, Quaid. which is a great idea. I know I should have got the Quaid sounder for my soundboard. Could have played that all, all episode. Definitely not annoyed anybody. 
Um, so we're teaming up a movie with Dennis Quaid in Dreamscape up with one that has uh, Randy Quaid moving. Um, did Doug, did, uh, did Sean pick both of these movies? He did, yeah. Right. He was very excited as well. I could tell when I posted the uh, coming soon graphic. Cindy Cindy posted on it that moving is one of her favorite Richard Pryor movies. And Sean had to interject that whoever picked those movies was dashing and handsome. Do you want to hear a, like a fun fact about Sean? Sure. So I went to message him to because I knew he wanted more of a say in the show. So I went to message him <laughs> to give him an opportunity to pick an episode for this month. Yeah. And when I did, I realized I've interacted with him on Facebook before. And it was in 2014 when he was messaging me trying to figure out if he could be on an episode of War, et cetera. <laughs> <And> wanted fans <laughs> to be allowed to pick topics and stuff yeah. for that. Man, dude's been trying for over over a decade. <laughs> so, finally did it. <laughs> finally! He should really like send a bottle of champagne to Jeff or something for reminding <laughs> us that we're supposed to be doing this. <laughs> uh... All right, well, first up, we're going to tackle Dennis Quaid. Some would say the better Quaid. Um, with his uh, 1984? Quaid, Quaid the Beautiful? Yeah. Yes, 1984. Uh, movie Dreamscape. Doug, do you want to tell us about Dreamscape? Uh, Dreamscape. So Dennis Quaid is a psychic slash telekinetic kind of guy who they were experimenting on, but he didn't like it so he quit and now he just uses his abilities to bet on horses um which is actually like pretty fun because it's like he just he just seems to bet on horses just enough to get by because he's not living a great life he's not not making millions of dollars betting on horses just enough to keep himself in an apartment that's exactly what i would do although i i would just do it to win the lottery and then you're set I don't know. It might be fun to just go in and see like how many times you can win by just betting on like black or red in a casino over and over again before they kick you out. <laughs> and you're like, it's 50 50. I'm just getting lucky. <laughs> um, but anyways, so he gets recruited into a program where they think that you'll be able to enter other people's dreams mm-hmm. um, and go in there. A long time passes. And then we realize that, um, the well, we find out that the other guy that's capable of going into people's dreams as well, which is one of the bad guys from Commando, um, he's he has a nasty past, so they find out like he's probably not a good guy, and that's important information for about a half an hour later in the film, where it's revealed that a they are planning to weaponize this because the idea is if you can go into someone's dream and then kill them in their dream they will die in real life and it's kind of a silent way to assassinate someone because no one will know and b since the president of the united states has been having nightmares about nuclear war he's considering uh nuclear disarmament so now these evil government i guess deep state actors are planning to get into his dreams and send the bad guy from commando in to kill him so your final act is david david patrick kelly his legal name is Bad Guy from Commando. Um, <laughs> I was going to say Bad Guy from Warriors. I was getting ready to say Bad Guy from Warriors, good sir. <laughs> or also Weird Henchman from Twin Peaks is acceptable. Or Bad Guy from The Crow. Oh, yeah. Bad Guy from The Crow, off lesser to a lesser extent. Yeah, but he looks just like he did in Commando in this particular movie. Because it's All like right. a year earlier. 
anyways, so it's the, the, the two dream warriors are now in the president's dream, hey. battling it out to see whether the president will be killed or whether Dennis Quaid will save the day. And I'll leave it spoiler-free whether we think in a 1984 family-friendly movie the good guy saves the day or not. <laughs> well, I guess technically he doesn't, though. Because I guess, screw the spoiler alert, <laughs> the president stabs that motherfucker from Commando right through his chest <laughs> himself. He's like, I don't need no Dennis Quaid to save me. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, which was, uh, is he the guy from Green Acres? Is he? <laughs> Who was the president in this movie? Maybe. I mean, Green Acres um, was the place to be. Was this the first time watch for you, Doug? This was definitely a first time watch for me, yeah. So what did you think? Um, Man, as soon as the plot started, which is about 40 minutes left to go in the film, this film was really good. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time in the first half of the movie just wondering what the hell this is about. I'm like, what's going on here? Why are we watching Dennis Quaid bet on horses? And like mobsters are mad at him because he keeps winning, but he won't give them tips. And I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. Why are we watching this? And then there's like weird things where he like tries to run away from the government program and they chase him down. So he rides a motorcycle for a while. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think he needs to be riding a motorcycle. I'm not sure how that's plot relevant right now. And all this goes on and on and on. And then I'm like, just as I'm like getting to the point where I'm bored, they're like, and the president's been dreaming about nuclear war. And I'm like, oh, so they're going to try to kill the president. Now we have a plot to this movie. We've already established that that guy's bad. And now we will be carrying on and everything gets really good. And then they go into that dream sequence and they're all on that like train and they're going through like the nuclear holocaust of like, Washington DC and then they're running through all these different like worlds and they're figuring out that they can do their like dream warriors shit where they can like have superpowers because they're in the dream world and I'm going this is amazing how is the movie not this like it takes a while to lead up to that like way too long and it is it is Quaid it is most charming smiley (laughs) it is he smiles so much in this movie. <laughs> For a movie that like is about this relatively dark topic, he's just always smiling, always being charming. I do. I still stand by my thought that I'm not entirely convinced that young Harrison Ford and young Dennis Quaid were not the same person, and at some point they just diverged. Split in half? I suspect that young Dennis Quaid has a career based on the fact that he kind of looks like young Harrison Ford. <laughs> it's like as soon as Harrison Ford got really famous, then all of a sudden Dennis Quaid is the lead in things like Dreamscape. Um, so I love this movie. This is a movie I saw when I was younger on like a weekend, you know, weekend movie yeah. or whatever, and enjoyed it. Kind of forgot about it, and then like you know, fifteen years later, I was like, "Oh, what was that fucking movie Dreamscape?" Yeah. And it seemed like it was kind of hard to find. And then all of a sudden it seems to have made a comeback. So it's easier to see now. I think if I'd seen this movie as a kid, I would have loved it. And I would have, then you add that nostalgia into it. And I think I would, yeah. I would think it's great. Um, I just think it's good because I didn't have that nostalgia going in. Sure. Uh, you know what I mean? I think like, you know, if you're 10, when you see this or seven, you're not mm-hmm. necessarily like, well, why is he riding that motorcycle through that? 
horse racing place. You just think it's neat that he's riding a motorcycle in the mud and you don't question it. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> that, that period of filmmaking, unnecessary action sequences were a thing. Yeah. Well, I think the problem with the, with this film as uh, in that first, like almost hour, which is why I think it's problematic is because it's so long is they're doing that seventies thing where they're just taking their time We'll spend a little time with this character and a little time with that character, but it's a very eighties film. So none of those characters have any depth. They're all just smiles and you know what I mean? And I just, I'm like, I don't, we don't need to get to know these people. The vast majority of these people, we do not need to get to know. Like you could have had a very quick shorthand of him, like getting brought in a couple of lines of dialogue. So we know he's psychic and have a couple of more dream sequences in that opening hour where that's how we get to know all the characters is through that. It would have been way more interesting. And like in my mind, I was thinking, okay, they don't know how to do dream sequences, but then in the last half of the movie, they make it very clear that they know how to do it and they do it very well. So yeah. why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Overall, I, I would think if you really look at all the dream sequences that we see, most of them are pretty good. Even like the one yeah. that, is kind of inconsequential. It's the first one he jumps into where the guy they're on a construction on a skyscraper or whatever. Yeah. And he just kind of learns like, Oh shit, it feels real. And then, you know, they yeah. almost fall off the building, but it's well done. It's well done. Cause if you look at the sky and stuff, well, during that whole thing, it's like that quick time elapse where clouds are just like shooting across the sky the yeah. whole time. And it's really interesting to look at even, even though that one's kind of the mundane one that they don't really it, do a whole lot with. It actually, it gives the audience a real time to learn with the character what it's like to like go into this thing where it's like, this is obviously not the real world, but it still feels kind of real. And that's what yeah. the character is going through. And I think it does a good job with the audience because we're seeing it from his perspective of like giving us that feeling of like, okay, he's clearly in a dream sequence. We, we're never going to be confused in this movie, whether you're in a dream sequence or not. That's not the kind of movie it is. But yeah. it still feels like he's interacting for real with the person, even though we know it's a dream. They do a good job of setting it up. They do a good job of showing us him trying to understand that, learning that he can actually interact and actually change what's going on and not just observe. All that stuff is done really well. Yeah. It just, that's more the movie should have been that. Yeah, I can see that. Because then when he goes into that like nightmare dream sequence with that kid and there's that snake monster running around, I'm like, yeah. that's fucking great too. Like that's mm -hmm. like, like in it, it's weird to say that this is a kid friendly film because there are like nuclear wars in it. And the president of the United States stabs a guy through the chest, but that was kid friendly in 1984. Right. And yeah. so like kids would have been watching this and kids would have been genuinely scared of that snake monster. And Dennis Quaid goes in there and saves the kid from it. That makes him a hero in the eyes of your audience. Right. So you're established, you're doing a lot of really good things here and you could have had him go into a couple of more dreams and do a little bit more good in that first hour, build him up as oh, even yeah. more of a hero. I I think what's needed is you need to cut out, I don't know, cut out the entire subplot of Dennis Quaid's character being, I, I don't know, some kind of weird pseudo criminal douche. I don't, I don't really quite is, his background isn't ever fully fleshed out despite the fact that they waste a bunch of time on it. Yeah, I think that's. And then you just made the, the same point I was trying to make when I said like it's just they yeah. film it like a '70s movie, but it's '80s movie characters. Yeah, like yeah, they, fl they flesh out. out nothing. And I know the the love story for this time period would have been like they would have been like, no, it has to be in there to appeal to women. But you take that completely out, 
Yeah. You add one more dream sequence with Quaid, and then you need to add about three dream sequences with bad guy. Because I, I feel like that's the thing that gets lost. We don't spend enough time with douchebag warriors bad guy in order to like justify the dream fight at the end of the movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, they wanted it to be kind of a twist when we realized that that guy's the bad guy. And I feel like as adults watching it, we're like, no, like once that we found out that he had committed that murder, we're like, okay, he's the bad guy for the movie. But maybe kids wouldn't have necessarily known that. Does that make sense? Maybe. Unless they had seen the Warriors yeah. and they'd be like, no, it's that <laughs> Fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I thought um, the Snake Man stuff in the kids' dream was good. Um, we we did this on Drunken Zombie and Snake Man became a whole thing. Yeah. And somebody would used to call in and leave voice messages as Snake Man, and I've still never figured out who it actually was. Well, that's fun. Um, yeah. But like, that sounds, uh, the, that sounds like Patrick from Scream Queens for some reason. That's what I thought too, but it, like the voice that was used was just like, I, I can't imagine Patrick going into to that voice, but I don't know. I, I, I've never heard it, but all I can imagine is somebody calling in and basically doing a Cobra Commander impression. It's not far <laughs> off. Yeah, really raspy voice. Um, but like the stuff in the kids' dream was cool. Like the Snake Man, the look of Snake Man's kind of cool. Yep. The weird rickety uh, stairs that go down into nothing. Yeah. Like all that shit was really cool. Everything in the dream worlds was cool uh, yeah. across the board. We we should have spent more time in those dream worlds. I agree. I agree. Um, it does. It it is a little long in the beginning. It does take a while to get there. And then I feel like we don't get enough of sort of the conspiracy side of it with. Uh, George went. Yeah, he shows up and is trying to like tell him. Like, I feel like we don't really focus on that a whole as much as we should have. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Again, the motherfuckers killed Norm. Not cool. Right? I feel like because this was a kids' movie, they got that just right. Like, I think watching it as an adult, thinking, yeah, I I want more of the George Went storyline. Um, I left him out of my plot description because that's how kind of inconsequential he is. But he's a right. a writer who's studying this stuff to for his novel and he kind of stumbles across the fact that there's this conspiracy to use this as a weapon and opens Dennis Quaid's eyes to it all and all that. I think that could have been a lot more interesting if it was fleshed out more. I think that yeah. it's just a case of in a kid's movie, you don't do that. He's just there to be the exposition guy. Um, do you have any thoughts, Noah? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know. We've talked about a bunch of it. Uh, David Patrick oh. Kelly's fucking. I feel like he makes this movie. I wish he was in it way more. Yeah, I, I, his his performance. He's such. He's like kind of. At first, he just comes off as arrogant douche, mm-hmm. but slowly that kind of twists into maniacal. You know. Yeah, I like that at the beginning. He's like, you think the tension between him and Dennis Quaid is that he's the only one that can so far successfully go into people's dreams. And he's jealous of Quaid for showing up and basically being better at it right away. And that that's an interesting sort of tension. And then when it morphs into something way worse, you're like, oh, well, that's interesting the way they played with that. Like it's, I, I don't know how to say it, like they're teasing a certain kind of tension and then replacing it with something else. Mm-hmm. 
Damn. What do we feel about him being a ninja in his dreams? It's so fucking. I fucking the listen the the last dream. I cannot overstate this. The entire movie. If you hate this whole fucking movie, it's still worth to watch it for the final dream sequence. Oh yeah, because him 100%. fighting with his laser mace chucks, <laughs> and then his random reference to warriors, where you know that's him that's the warrior instead it's that's him that's the president that set off the bar <laughs> i just like that when he was like in their like dorm rooms at like the place where all the experiments are being done he had this bruce lee poster on the wall and i'm like that is like seems really random and i was like i was actually thinking like maybe it's like a joke or and I was going to bring it up to you guys. Like, is he supposed to be like a college kid plot, who has posters on his wall? And it turns out he's just a big Bruce Lee fan. And that that matters. We needed to know that about him going into the final fight. Yeah. He has other ninja posters on his wall if you really pay attention. Uh, yeah. So he's really into the martial arts and shit. That's so funny. He really had to establish that he was horny for ninja. Because <laughs> that is a cool moment when he like he's like, you can do whatever you want in the dream world. And then like the laser nunchucks form in his hand. Like if the effect looks really good, the moment is actually pretty cool as a kid in the eighties where like ninjas were all the craze. We would have fucking like gone crazy for that. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's one of the reasons again, I probably saw it when I was like 11 or 12. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, and it was on TV. So it was broken up enough that I guess I wasn't getting too bored with a lot of the early stuff. It's more just like, Oh, this fucking cool snake man and this guy's a weird fucking ninja guy and yeah all this other shit people that look all like radiation sick because of nuclear bomb and yeah, shit. like the the fucking like zombie radiation people on the trains it's pretty fucking dark imagery for a movie of this caliber <laughs> i really enjoy it i was i was super happy to see it and i would have loved it as a kid but if i showed it to a modern kid they'd be like really upset by it and in no way did the movie The Cell completely steal everything from this movie? Yeah. I was going to say, like, the one thing The Cell does is does better of jumping into it much faster right. um, and getting more time in the dream sequences. But yeah, it's very interesting that we've covered another movie that has a very similar topic. If they would have just brought back Quaid instead of putting Jennifer Lopez in there. Be a sequel. So I'm saying Quaid, Quaid and fucking D'Onofrio. Come on now. Maybe something else, yeah. I thought it was super interesting that this movie came out in 1984, which is the same year as Nightmare on Elm Street, and you've got all this stuff with going into the dream sequences and the stuff in the dreams affecting things in the real world and all that. I thought that was interesting, and then at the end when they start doing Dream Warrior shit, I'm like, oh, this is like three years before Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and they're totally doing the Dream Warriors. I'm like... Uh, Do you know the connection, Doug? No. So the writer of this directed part three dream warriors are you serious nice yeah yeah i should have looked into that and the thing that i've he also directed the 80s blob so he's a fantastic director obviously yeah um so the thing i had read somewhere and i don't know if it's true because i've tried to like look this fact up again and i can't figure out where i heard it at is that he had ideas if they ever did a second dreamscape movie and, you know, that never happened. <clears throat> so I had heard that he took some of those and put it into Dream Warriors. 
And if you think about a lot of the similarities where there's a character that can go into people's dreams, um, there's a giant Freddy snake in the yeah. movie, um, the weird tongues that tie up Joey to the bed, very snake-like. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, people having dream powers and all this other stuff. Like, you could, you just look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, like, that's that's totally, he totally wrote this as a sequel to Dreamscape 2 and just put Freddy in it. Oh, yeah, like, it's um, <clears throat> the sequence where they start figuring out that they can manipulate things in the dream world and have basically do whatever they want is very reminiscent of seek the, the nightmare three stuff where they're like, Hey, look, I have this power. And, and you know what I mean? It is yeah. just a slightly darker version in nightmare three, but again, yeah. kids movies and adult movies weren't that different in the eighties. So it's like <laughs> a lot of the visuals like could fly in either film. Like it's very interchangeable. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that there's a behind the scenes connection. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I'd known that. Yeah. I, w- I will say the most disturbing scene of this whole movie is the him going into the girl he likes dreams and having dream sex with her <laughs> because it is like a, a, I've seen this movie before and I forgot about that scene because why would why would young me remember this random scene? But I was like, fuck, I was like, this is actually really dark. Like, because he, he essentially dream raped her. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's consensual by 80s standards, but it feels uncomfortable today. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Whenever sure. she wakes up and she gets angry. And it, well, and then the fact that she's so quick to forgive it, I'm like, oh, this feels really <laughs> rape apology. Like, it's such a weird thing because we learn through Dennis Quaid's interactions with the kid and with the president, we know that the people in the dream, once they're kind of notified that they're in a dream by his presence are able to control their own actions and make their own decisions and affect the way the dream plays out. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think they want us to believe that she's doing the same thing. It's just not portrayed that way necessarily. Yeah. Except it's pretty obvious when she wakes up that she did not know that it was real him as avatar in her dream. Yeah, it. Yeah, like they want they, the way they want it to come across is that him being in this dream sequence with her kind of gave her the permission to go along with it, and that that allows her to open up to him, and that's why they're going to have this romantic relationship now. But it it definitely comes across as like I don't know, it's real rapey. Yeah, yeah. Dream dream assault. Yeah, like and again, I don't, I don't think you can charge someone with rape because they have sex with somebody else in a dream, but it, it feels uncomfortable. <laughs> You're like, but, but they should, they should, <laughs> like, it should be a thing. Those laws don't exist because the technology doesn't exist. Yeah, there's going to be a time where the the laws have to catch up after they invent this technology in real life. They've invented it in movies like three different times now, so they're going to have to invent it in real life eventually, right? I'm just saying Dennis Quaid apologized. That's all it takes for you. (laughs) Boo, Brian. Boo. I'm I'm joking. It was obviously very (laughs) cringe-inducing. Yeah. Who's the real snake? That's what I say. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You ever had, uh, either one of you ever had um, nuclear weapon dreams? Hmm. I don't think so. 
I think I've had it a couple of times. Just where I know a bomb's going off and you can see like the the wave coming at you and stuff. I feel like maybe in, as a kid I did because as as a kid like again it was the eighties like we lived in this fear yeah. of nuclear holocaust like every day we just kind of we just figured it was coming like so it was like it didn't even seem strange back then. I just do you guys remember doing did you did you guys ever have to do the nuclear bomb drills? Doug, did you have those in Canada? No, we didn't do nuclear. Like we knew those were bullshit. Yeah, we sit under your desk and stuff. We yeah. used to have conversations about like if the Russians bomb the Americans, will they bomb places close enough to directly affect us, or will it just be like longer term implications? <laughs> we know we're okay. All right. Like those, those Americans, I got to worry about those bombs would have been flying over us. We'd have been able to watch you guys shooting at each other. Like, hey, there's another one. This is gonna suck. <laughs> what do we do? Fuck you, Yanks! Eh? <laughs> uh, so this was actually the second ever rated PG thirteen movie. Oh, really? First one was Red Dawn, which came out like a couple weeks before this. Yeah. And then this one, and because there was actually during the uh, our favorite uh, sleep assault scene, there was actually some nudity in it. And so they had to cut it out because having nudity that is sexualized could get your PG-13 rating taken away. Okay. But nudity for a gag apparently is okay. Yeah. That's different. Um, again, yes. nuclear, nuclear Porky's war. not no. bad. <laughs> this bad. <laughs> Anyways. Um, uh, PG-13 is probably the right rating for this. Yeah. Like, again, I would have watched it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. This is definitely like it would have been considered lighthearted fair compared to some of the stuff I was watching in 1984. So, yeah, I feel like this is like the perfect like weekend movie. Yeah, like, it's exactly how I saw it. Yeah, like I, I definitely think like Saturday afternoon. Oh shit, it's raining! I can't go outside and play road hockey, so I'm just gonna watch a movie instead. And this is on. Mm-hmm. It, it would have been perfect for that. Yeah, yeah. I had four TV stations, so you just watch whatever's on. <laughs> This was on. I'm like, ooh, going to people's dreams? That's kind of cool. And imagine that first hour being broken up by commercials where you can go get snacks and stuff would probably be beneficial. Yeah. And then in the second half, you're just like fully engaged and hooked on this dream world and you get super mad when those commercials come. Uh, yeah. Good movie. I like it. Yeah, it's it's something I'd recommend to people if you're interested in this type of weird, you know, semi-kid-friendly science fiction from the 80s which I, I think most people that would take my recommendations would be interested so um, yeah. yeah so I think it's it's something I'd, I'd check out I knew nothing about it going in I was like I know you'd mentioned it in the past but I had no idea what it was about um, and then I just figured fuck it I'll watch it completely blind other than that I know Dennis Quaid's in it <laughs> I was pretty happy with it yeah um, Screen Factory put out a nice Blu-ray for anybody that's a physical media collector. Um, all right. Focusing from one Quaid who's problematic in this movie to the Quaid that's problematic in real life. Uh, Noah, do you want to tell us about moving? Yeah. Richard Pryor, father of two, husband. Uh, father, father of three. Are there three kids? Oh, yeah, the twins. 
Yeah. Look, the the running gag in the fucking movie fucked me up. <laughs> such a good job tricking their uh, teachers that they tricked Noah too. But uh, so he is a transportation engineer uh, working for, I think, the city of Chicago. Yeah. Is that where he is? Uh, New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he loses his job after there is a merger and his thing is eliminated after carrying the heavy boxes of his replacement <laughs> to his office, <laughs> which is a pretty good gag. Uh, he loses his job. He's having a hard time finding a thing. And then he gets a fantastic job offer. Uh, but in order to take said job, he has to move to Boise, Idaho. Uh, which means he has to do all of the things that are involved with that kind of a move, which means packing up your house, hiring movers, selling your house, buying the new house, getting all your shit over there and, and starting your new job. And basically shit goes fucking wrong. <laughs> it's an eighties comedy. So, you know, everything goes perfectly smooth. And, uh, as El Goro would call him Quaid, the ugly, uh, <laughs> Plays both his asshole neighbor in New Jersey and that character's brother, who is his asshole neighbor in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> Which is a pretty good gag. Um, first time watch for anybody? Uh, I don't recall ever having seen this before. Which is weird, because I thought I'd seen all of Richard Pryor's movies. Uh, first time watch for me as well. I had seen it, but it had been a long time, and it was definitely one of those movies that I, as I'm watching it, I started to go, "Oh, I know what's coming up next." <laughs> like, <laughs> um, fantastic supporting cast, as we mentioned, uh, Randy Quaid. Before yeah. everybody knew he was shit ass crazy. Well, he's just, just doing his Randy just, Quaid thing of I, being playing the crazy guy. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the funny thing, because the insane character he plays in this is basically the guy he turned into in real life. <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, there's no scene of him having sex with his wife with the Rupert Murdoch mask on, but sure. Um, Stacy Dash, who plays as Richard Pryor's daughter, who also went mega crazy. Um, uh, Dave Thomas shows up as his do boss in Idaho. And then uh, Dana Carvey shows up as the guy who's going to drive his car across the uh, country. Yeah. <laughs> the Dana the Dana Carvey character is, is so fucking insensitive to mental health stuff. <laughs> but Dana Carvey's fucking delivery is so fucking out of control in this movie. He he actually, like, collectively, he doesn't have a ton of screen time. But God damn it. No, I wish he had had a lot more screen time. I was really disappointed. I would have loved to have just cut back to him like every once in a while. And there he is like just in one of his different personalities. Cause we don't really even see that much of, of his different personalities. We don't really see what happens to the car. We just see it showing up all fucked up. And I'm like, I don't, I would have loved to have just checked in with him every now and again, like while Richard Pryor's driving cross country, almost like the, the girl in vacation driving in the next car. But every time it's Richard Pryor looks out the window, it's somebody like a different version of the Dana Carvey character driving his own vehicle. If you, you give him like maybe around 15 minutes of screen time of just like two minutes at a time of that would have been great. 
Yeah, I think we only see like three of his personalities. Yeah. Oh. Fucking King Kong Bundy is the crazy. Uh, oh, that's right. King Kong mover. Bundy. Yeah, that's one of the movers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, oddly, I don't think this is one of the better Richard Pryor movies. Like his... the movie itself isn't bad, but there are some that are so much better. Yeah, do no. you do you feel like Richard Pryor's delivery in this isn't great? I think that Richard Pryor is not a great actor. He's a great comedian. And when you put a great comedian in a movie, you have to let them be themselves a little more than he is in this. They kind of do make him the straight man until the very end yeah. when he goes full crazy. Yeah, and I don't know that he works as much as a straight man, and I don't like I don't know, it's like his language is toned down and I'm like, is this Richard Pryor? Like this is it feels like he was trying to transition into acting and it's like maybe don't. Maybe 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 stick with comedy. See, I almost felt like some of his deliveries and some of his facial expressions I was like, mm, was this Richard Pryor on drugs? Because I think maybe he was real fucked up on set. Uh, let's see how far into. Well, I don't know. See no evil, hear no evil is right after this. Because <clears throat> I was wondering if um, his MS diagnosis maybe caused some of that. Maybe. Um, but, I mean, this is like, what, 88? So I mean, he wasn't too far into his acting career, so... This is only a couple years, you know, like four or three years after Brewster's Millions and stuff, which is my personal favorite of his movies. But um, yeah, so he just still did some stuff after this that I think he got to be a little bit more of his usual self. But yeah, just trying something different and maybe it didn't work. I, I think the film too, yeah. the whole film feels a little bit restrained, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Like you have, so you have like, we already mentioned, I, I already mentioned the Dana Carvey character. Like we just don't get enough of that. Like that should be a joke that hits like every 10 minutes we're introduced to a new character. Every 10 minutes we see the car getting a little worse for wear. You know what I mean? And then at the end we finally, that it's one of the things that pushes Richard Pryor's character over the edge. We don't really get enough of that. We get the gag about like the, the boys are like pretending to be one kid when they're twins and they're using it to win races. Then we see them go to their new school and we see how they pull it off there. But again, it's just like a couple of mentions of this thing. That's kind of funny, but it'd be a lot funnier if it happened 10 times throughout the movie as opposed to two. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the whole thing feels like that the stuff with the movers that like, like they're like, you should, you should move to Vegas and, or instead of, Moving to Boise. New Orleans. That it's seems like more, time. New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. New Orleans sorry, yeah. yeah. And then like yeah. they they just drive the truck to New Orleans. Like that seems like a really funny thing when I say it, but does it really play as fun that funny in the movie, or would it be like would there be a way to execute that better to make that same joke much funnier? I think there would be. I was going to say specifically that guy, the the shorter uh, Latino, yeah, guy that turned out to be like the evil Latino henchman in every fucking movie for the next 30 years. Mm -hmm. Seeing him young as shit was like, Whoa, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's weird seeing him with hair because he would become known as he would have like a shaved head right, yeah. and like full tattoos. So I'm just like, is that? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't tell. And then later you see him with like, just like a tank top on. I'm like, Oh, yep. That's him. There's the tattoos. Yeah. 
But yeah, like that joke should be really funny. That the idea of like they're just pressuring him to move to a different city just because they want an excuse to drive there, and they just do it anyway with all this stuff. Like <laughs> the idea is hilarious. The execution, I'm not sure. Yeah, because then he just gets on the phone and yells at them, and they're like, "Okay." Yeah, and they come back. Like, it feels a little bit like it has a bit of a Gremlins 2 feel to it, where you're like, what if a guy had multiple personalities? It's going in the movie. What if they take all his stuff and just go somewhere and party <laughs> instead of delivering it? It's going in the movie. And you're just like, maybe we needed a few of these jokes to be carried on throughout the film rather than uh, just being peppered with so many sort of ideas that don't really play well together. Yeah. I see that for sure. It's also the weird thing where the teenage daughter decides to get like married so she doesn't have to move. And that felt uncomfortable and rapey in a weird 80s way. <laughs> like, I don't know. Because I thought she was supposed to be like 16 or something. And all of a sudden she's just like, well, I'll get married so I don't have to move. And I'm like, don't, don't do that. That's not. And then uh, she gets married. She's going to get married to Morris Day from Morris Day in the Times. It's weird. I only know who he is. The motherfucking time. <laughs> yep. Too. My jungle love. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. <laughs> uh, and then she moves in with those old people, and I was real worried about what was going to convince her not to live there anymore. Yeah, I was like, it's going to be something terrible. This nice, sweet old couple, like something horrible is going to happen. I don't know what it is. It's not getting assaulted in your dreams like the last movie, but Oh, I could picture a world where the old guy's spying on her in the shower. And that's, that's the, the joke that she doesn't want to live yeah. there anymore. And everyone's like, ah, come on. He's just an old guy. And he's like peeking in on her or something. Yeah. They don't go there. Yeah. Luckily it's just, Oh, they really are old people. So he's going to sit on the couch and itch his junk. And then yeah, the grandma's going to itch her boob. And then, now you see, that's Maverick. He's a riverboat hustler. That's his brother, Dennis Maverick. <laughs> She's just like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, but it it it, um, it does feel like too held back. Like there should have been something big that did happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. not it doesn't have to be any of the inappropriate ideas that we're all assuming would happen because it's an eighties movie. Um, but it feels like I don't know. Everything in the movie felt too restrained to me. They didn't go there with any of the jokes. Again, they're not bad. It's not like it was, it was a funny movie, but I didn't really laugh out loud, and I feel like they wanted me to laugh out loud. I don't know. And I feel like several of the funniest things were minor things. Like the fact that whenever the car gets delivered all destroyed, for some reason the rear bumper's been <laughs> replaced with the door of a police cruiser. <laughs> and that's real fucking funny and i think if you pay attention it looks like it's the chicago police so somewhere between new jersey and boise he, chicago. he stole a cop's car door in chicago see that's funny that's what i wanted more of in the movie <laughs> yeah but even the stuff with like like king kong bundy like threatening them and then, like, originally they're not going to hire those movers, and then they open the back of the truck, and there's King Kong Bundy, and he's like, what? And then he's like, okay, no, you guys are our movers. And it's like, but do something with that, then. Have Bundy do something where being a giant oaf of a man plays into it. And they really don't. I mean, a bunch of that. I thought, I thought that stuff was funny. I thought the old man that shows up 
to be their packing expert that is <laughs> fucking individually wrapping everything in that newspaper. And he's there all night and finishes the first box. That that guy was the highlight of the movie for me. That he just shows up and then at one point Richard Pryor's like, You get paid by the hour, don't you? And he's like, Yep. And <laughs> he just goes back to work. <laughs> I just liked that it was micro machines. He was he was wrapping each one individually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. like like again. Everything in the movie was a little bit funny. That was yeah. that was probably the joke that made me laugh the most. Well, even like you said, like because there's a scene because they've established that him and Randy Quaid aren't on the best of terms. Yeah, Randy Quaid's a severe nut job. Yeah, probably didn't even realize the camera was rolling. Um, there's a scene where he's trying to annoy Richard Pryor with the, like a remote control helicopter. Yeah, and that doesn't really go anywhere either. No, and like there's it's like there's so much more you could do. The scene you could chase him around I the think, yard, you could do something. I think the funniest Quaid joke of the whole movie is when they have that family over there looking at the house, and Quaid shows up, but he's wearing a suit and all cleaned up, and <laughs> speaking very affluently, and he baked them a cake and. <laughs> All this kind of stuff. And Richard Pryor's freaking out, but he really helps him sell the house. And then they walk outside and he's like, why did you do this? And he's like, because you're fucking boring and I want new fresh meat. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's good. But yeah, that's that's actually probably a, a good gag. I like that. I like the I like the second Randy Quaid showing up to when they move. And it's just like his brother just happens to live next door to them on the other side of the country. Has the same big ass lawnmower. I do love the fact that he's like, "Oh, you're bear. I heard you're a real asshole." <laughs> I wanted to enjoy the scene where um, Richard Pryor goes and he's like, "Look, you know, we're moving. I loaned you my weed whacker like two years ago. I haven't even seen you use it yet, so I'm gonna need it back." And Quaid's just like, "No," and like his, his the way he just goes, "No." But I need it back. No, I'm not. I'm just not going to do that. Uh, I was really enjoying Randy Quaid in that scene. Uh, what I wanted was for Richard Pryor to just get more and more upset and like start screaming at him and calling him a motherfucker in that Richard Pryor like high pitched voice. And he just never did it. Yeah. <clears throat> so much potential. Like, what's the rating on this movie? I uh, don't know. He said, it is 7 o'clock in the morning, and he's got a goddamn lawn tractor for 30 square feet of yard. <laughs> I think part of it, too, might just be that, like, now that I'm old and live in the suburbs, I'm like, oh, I can understand why that would be frustrating. I see where he's coming from. I right. Well, and the fact that he's clearly mowing his lawn every single day with the giant lawn tractor just to be a dick. Uh, it's all rented. Yeah, see, didn't did it need to be R-rated? Well, Richard Pryor, even though he doesn't get overly excited, he does say the word fuck a lot. Yeah, I guess. He dropped a couple motherfuckers at some point. I did like the joke of, I gave him the wrong finger. <laughs> the one gag that I really wanted to enjoy, but for some reason I didn't, was when they're buying the new house, and the guy keeps saying, don't worry if you like that we're taking it with us and then when they come he actually took all the stuff with him and it's like the doors and the stairs and the swimming pool that they took and that on on that's such a funny idea to me that he's like i really like these steps well we're taking those with us and then when they get there there's just no steps the idea is hilarious to me but it just 
didn't really work in the movie for some reason. Yeah. I feel like it didn't have, didn't have a good lead up. Like they show the annoyance of like preparing to move. Yeah. Getting everything packed up with the movers and all that stuff. And then they leave, they hop in the car and they leave and they stop at like one place to eat or whatever. Yeah. But then like, we don't see the rest of their trip across the country. Well, Yeah. And I think like, like if, if you had that same joke where they get there and everything's missing, but you did it in such a way so that when they pull up to that house, there's like this huge feeling of like relief, like, oh, thank God, we're finally here. Everything can finally calm down and settle down. And then they walk in and the fucking stairs are missing and the pool is somehow gone. And like, I think that that would be a lot funnier, but you're not, you're not built up to it like that. So it's just this very, it, it, it feels like a very obvious joke because it's not built up to. I think the other problem is that like the soul of comedy is the subversion of expectations, right? Yeah. You, it's all about misdirection. And you guys knew exactly where the fuck that joke was going. Yeah. Like, yeah, everyone did. They telegraphed it just too fucking hard in, in a, just a not well-delivered way. So you're like, well, they're going to show up and the windows are going to be missing and the doors are going to be missing and the pool's yeah. going to be gone. You almost you almost needed that like that scene the the original scene of them walking around and saying that to be a lot more subtle and a lot further removed from the reveal, like right. I think you know what I mean. And then you needed Richard Pryor's reaction to be bigger, like he should have fucking just that should have been right over the edge, and I I don't know it didn't feel like it really worked. I do like I do like whenever he calls the guy and the guy's like we told you we were taking it and he goes you said you were kidding he goes no. No, we. I have a transcript of everything we said, <laughs> and we said we were joking about taking the windows. Um, how do we feel that he shows up to his new job and he immediately just becomes like, yeah, <laughs> I just sharpened a pencil for for how everything fell apart. Yeah, the way he did when they like the media is questioning him and he's like, I just sharpened a pencil. Like that's all he could say. That was. That was probably one of the better executed jokes in the whole thing where he's just completely caught off guard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, it was enjoyable, but again, as far as Richard Pryor movies go, it just definitely be towards the bottom of my list. It's just, it's not like, it wasn't as funny as I wanted it to be while I was watching it. Not that it was bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's. Yeah. I don't know. I, th- they, yeah. they, they, I, I think part of the problem is Richard Pryor's so fucking funny that you're, I think you go in with really high expectations. That's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then true. this one doesn't live up to your expectations of a prior performance. Yeah. Like I said, Brewster's Millions is pretty much at the top for me. But then like you even look at all the uh, stuff he did with Gene Wilder. It's always funny. Yeah. The toy. The toy is great. Yeah, cringe inducing nowadays, but we really sucked the fun out of that movie. I think <laughs> <laughs> I don't think comedy films are meant to be like us sitting down going, "Why don't? Why didn't this joke work? How about this one? Why let, me, let me tell Richard Pryor how to do comedy." Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the midnight drive-in at gmail.com. 
Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Um, before we get into the other stuff we watched, I forgot to mention, I live in the hometown of Richard Pryor. There's a, uh, there's a statue to him down like a block away from my work. It's not really an accomplishment. No, just interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, a strong, what, that's a strong word. <laughs> strong what, word. What's everybody watched since the last time we recorded? Absolutely nothing. Doug, right. what'd you watch? I don't have a lot either. Um, I do. Oh, you do? Good. Yeah. I watched, um, what was that? what's it called? The movie that I watched? <laughs> you guys know, right? The movie? Uh, it's, it was one of your suggestions, actually, Brian. Uh, totally Killer. Oh, okay. Okay. So, what'd you think? I I really enjoyed it. Um, did I? Yeah, like it. I kind of avoided it because it looked kind of cheesy. But then you recommended it, and I still I ignored that. But then someone else recommended it. And I went, <laughs> oh, okay. It must be good then. I, I trust this other person's opinion. Um, yeah, like the whole like all the all the violence and stuff is pretty good. But the, the big joke of the movie is taking a modern day teenager and sticking them in the eighties and being like, these two things do not go together. <laughs> and I thought that they did that extremely well. Right. Like every time, like somebody like pushes her and she's like, um, you do not have a right to touch me. And then they just push her again. Cause it's the eighties like, <laughs> and all that kind of shit. Like, yeah, like all that stuff. I think they did it really well. They avoided getting into the whole, like either, either running on the joke of like, Oh my God, today's kids are such fucking losers and wimps. Like they didn't do that. And they didn't lean into the like, Oh my God, the eighties was such a horrible time when people treated each other. Well, it's just like a clash of cultures is all it is. And mm. it's just watching the, watching her interact with people from that era and just be shocked at like everything. Like the, the scene where she gets out of the car and somebody has been smoking in the car and she's just like in fucking shock of it. And I'm like, yeah, I was fucking annoying when people did that. Like, I didn't, but yes, in our entire childhoods, people just smoked in cars. Like they, nobody thought anything of it. Even people who didn't uh, like it would never say anything because it's impolite to say something. I think my favorite was was the dodgeball game. Yeah, Where they're using the actual rubber balls, and she gets nailed like three times in the face. The, the coach comes over and he's like, "You should have a." Uh, you should have moved. <laughs> okay, so yeah. that's, I don't know why you didn't think to move. It's like, if you would have tried to catch that, I probably wouldn't hit you in the face. And I'm like, yeah, that's about the extent of it. Yeah. It's yeah. That's just how it worked back then. Like you'd, it would be annoying if you took too long to get off the court. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I, th- it. I thought the slasher stuff was fun. Yeah. Like it, does it make a whole lot of sense? No. But who cares? Man. That final thing where they're in the amusement park ride, and that's where the final kind of fight takes place because they've reconfigured the Gravitron to be the time machine. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Then it fits kind of neatly into that category of like it is. It's now we have a time travel slasher film to go with some of the other ones that have come out lately that have been kind of playing on these old trends. Yeah. So. yeah. This is the uh, Back to the Future slasher movie. Yeah. So, and she calls it out flat out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was fun, too, the way that the one girl just, like, totally accepts that she's a time traveler. And she's like, I invented time travel. You think 
when I started thinking of that, it didn't occur to me that one day somebody would travel back and ask for help. Like, obviously. <laughs> and then they just, after that, they stop questioning it. And I'm like, that's, that's perfect. That's enough. That gives her like a partner to work with. And yeah. Yeah. yeah I feel like it worked a lot better than, uh, cause like I watched, uh, it's a wonderful knife over the holidays, yeah. which is just, it's a wonderful life, but a slasher movie. And I feel like this one works so much better than that one does. Yeah. You had met, you had mentioned that and I was, it's disappointing because I want, it's a wonderful knife to be good just because I like the title. <laughs> um, but yeah, that one was good. I don't know if I watched anything else really, nothing really, I, I was in a weird drama mood this week. So I watched um, a couple of drama films, but I don't know if I'm going to get into them. What'd you watch? I watched uh, The Hero starring Sam Elliott. Which I've seen I, that one. I just like literally was like flipping through Instagram and clips of the big Lebowski kept coming up for some reason. And every time Sam Elliott was talking, man, I should watch more Sam Elliott stuff. (laughs) So (laughs) I watched that. Um, I literally just went on prime and went looking for something with him in it. And I'm like, Oh, here's a movie where he basically playing himself. I want to watch that. Um, Yeah. He's an aging actor finds out he's has cancer kind of deals with that. It's in, I would call it reminiscent of the wrestler. For people who haven't seen it, you know, there's a whole plot where he's trying to, you know, finds out he's sick and has trying to reconnect with his family and it's not going so well. Um, you know, he's at the same time trying to rebuild his career. I guess, spoiler alert, the difference between this and the wrestler is that he maybe in this realizes trying to get his career back isn't the thing that he should be doing when he's dealing with cancer <laughs> and he concentrates more on other parts of his life. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't learn. Like if I do Shakespeare in the Park one more time, I could die. And then just goes and does it anyway. <laughs> goes through with it anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a slightly different movie than that. Hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I liked it. If you're interested in a drama about you know an older guy looking back on his life and like there's a, a scene where he gets like a, a lifetime achievement award and he's kind of like, yeah, I'm getting this lifetime achievement award, but really I've done one movie that I'm super proud of and it was 40 years ago and that's all people know me for and I really wish I could do something else you know what I mean like don't really feel like I've been achieving for 40 years I feel like I've been coasting on that um and then of course because it's kind of a a, a lighthearted film as well he is high as fuck when he gets up to collect the award and he does say all that into the microphone in front of the people who are giving him an award and then turns the award over to a random person in the crowd. <laughs> um, Have you yeah, ever watched uh, The Last Movie Star, Burt Reynolds? No. Uh, it's an Adam Rifkin movie. I, I bought it forever ago because I wanted to check it out. It sounds a lot like this, where he's Burt Reynolds is like a long-in-the-tooth actor, like, you know, he's super old and whatever and gets invited to like a film festival to accept like a lifetime achievement award. And his agent essentially talks him into going and he goes there and realizes like, Oh, they do this every year. Nobody ever actually shows up for it. And so it's like a movie of him sort of reflecting on like his career and stuff like that. It's like, it's supposed to be a drama. It's one of the, one of the last couple Burt Reynolds movies he did before he passed away. And apparently Adam Rifkin was on some podcast talking about it. And he said, uh, Burt Reynolds even had like moments where they were going, they were doing a scene or whatever. And he, he's like, I need a couple minutes to kind of reflect. Cause a lot of these words on this page are 
yeah. hit me a little hard, hit me a little close to home. So, well, so I'm is, interested. I need to watch it at some point. It's a universal truth that getting older makes it sometimes difficult to accept the fact that your old life is gone. And yeah. we are now that we are old enough that we are experiencing that to some extent. Oh, yeah. um, maybe not to the same way that these 70 year olds are, but <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. There's something about movies about that, that really kind of hit you just the right way where it's like, if you're in that mood for a drama film and you want to, you just kind of wanted that exploration of these characters who are going through it and seeing how different, how they handle it kind of thing. Yeah. Now I had one of those moments this week. Um, I got a letter from the hospital, my hospital network, um, from my doctor letting me know he's retiring in April. Mm-hmm. He's the same doctor I've had since I was like 13. Yeah. And I just had that moment where I'm just like, fuck, I'm going to have to find a new doctor. And then I sat and thought about it. I'm like, I'm probably going to find a doctor that's probably going to be younger than me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be fucking, I'm going to be a fucking old guy that's showing up to the doctor's office. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I have that issue at work where now I'm like the old guy and it's very strange to be like all of a sudden <laughs> gone from like, oh, like I remember when I started this job and everybody else was old and now I guess the people who are starting now are looking at me the same way. And I'm like, oh, it's so strange mm-hmm. to process, but <laughs> there's definitely times where you're like, I just want to go do all the stuff I used to love doing back then. And then you're like, that's not going to work. That's not going to work at all. Like it's. <laughs> it's, it's, but luckily Noah is, was born a 70 year old man so it's all right yeah true story no i was talking to my therapist once talking about doing stuff like you used to do or whatever and i was talking he's like well you know if your inner child is this or whatever you should find stuff to uh you used to that you liked doing at that age and try to get back into it and i sat and thought about it i'm like oh but i kind of still do all the stuff i enjoyed doing when i was 10 like comic books and video games and movies. Like, <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> there is that minor issue of us being very immature, which we have to factor <laughs> in when we think about this stuff. It's yeah, it's, it's funny because it is funny. Like watching dreamscape for the first time this week going like, I don't know. I got, why am I an adult enjoying this children's movie that came out when I was a child, <laughs> but you know, but I was busy watching first blood over and over again. So I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> what else did you watch? Doug? Uh, the other one I watched was called everything must go. It's another very happy go lucky drama <laughs> about a guy who he's an, an alcoholic and he gets, we find out later that he's had like a series of problems, but this is kind of his last one. And he goes to work. He goes to work that day, gets fired, gets home. And his wife has found out and basically put all his stuff on the front lawn and left him. And so now he's living on his front lawn because he has no money and nowhere to go. (laughs) But at least he's got a nice lazy boy on the front lawn. (laughs) And the whole movie is just him sort of meeting he meets a couple of people that come by because it's interesting when a person lives in the front lawn (laughs) and just reflecting on his life and his mistakes and everything and it's surprisingly well done will ferrell plays the guy oh yeah yeah. i haven't seen it but i know and i just realized the movie you're talking about yeah. yeah it's surprisingly good dramatic acting from him 
not a lot of, there is a couple of like funny moments, but not a lot of like over the top stuff. Like even when he's playing drunk, he's not playing like stumble, funny SNL drunk. He's playing actual drunk of just like the kind of drunk you are when you just sit in your lazy boy in your front lawn and drink beer all day. (laughs) And there's some really sad moments in it too that are like, you start to feel bad for him because he's a surprisingly likable guy, despite the fact that he kind of created all these problems himself. And it's pretty poignant. And it's, it's, again, like a bit of a character study that I wouldn't describe it as having a detailed plot. It's more just like his interactions with the, you know, the new person that moved onto the street across the street. And he's like, goes over and introduces himself and then realizes that he lives on the front lawn in front of her house. Uh, you know stuff like that um that's a recommend if you're, again if you're interested in that sort of thing yeah really kind of simple movie um not, again not a huge not a lot of plot just a, a a character study kind of thing a look at this person and even there's even a moment where he so after he gets fired he gets really they give him like a parting gift which is a swiss army knife and he uses it to let the air out of his boss's tires on his way out of the building <laughs> and he it gets stuck in the tires so he just leaves it there well later he finds out that some of the things he was accused of doing he didn't do he was just so drunk that he couldn't remember if he did them or not and that they didn't really get the benefit of the doubt and so that he runs into like the boss guy at a bar and the guy's like yeah actually probably could have even gotten you your job back if you hadn't stabbed the tires on my mustang (laughs) so it's like even after everything it's like oh this could have all been fixed too but no you made that other mistake you did that other stupid thing um and it's just yeah the whole movie is kind of that it's a little bit sad but it tries to be hopeful at the end um in its own way he's got uh, an interesting documentary coming out soon oh yeah um so apparently his best friend of like 20 years um, just transitioned from male to female. Okay. And so apparently they took a uh, road trip across the country and it's sort of about him getting to know his new best friend and sort of like dealing with his own uh, emotions of how, you know, their friendship has changed now and all that kind of stuff. Um and apparently they drove through the area where I live and stopped at a couple bars and stuff. And it was all over the paper and the news. I remember like Will Ferrell was in town. Um, but you know, we didn't know what it was about at the time. And now I hear sort of the description of what the documentary is going to be. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, that sounds interesting. So it's just weird that they filmed part of it around here. Yeah. That's, that could be interesting because I think that's, something that gets lost in our culture with all the discussion of these types of issues is you know, people, if you know somebody who like transitions like that, you do have to adjust. Right. And it's yeah. not that, not that you don't support them or don't think they have a right to do what they want to do or whatever, but obviously it's going to have some change on the way you interact with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's called, I don't remember. Maybe we'll put it on the list and have a really detailed discussion of it as we are quali- clearly qualified. <laughs> that to sounds it. like a movie we should definitely have a, have a conversation about. Uh, it's called Will and Harper. Okay. It's coming out sometime this year. So That might be interesting. 
Feels like you really got to be in the mood to watch that, though, don't you? Yeah, probably. Like, I don't imagine it's going to be like a laugh a minute uh, no. documentary. Well, it's landing at Netflix, apparently. Hmm. So you won't be able to watch it. Nope, because I got rid of that bullshit. Hmm. All right, did you watch anything else, Doug? Uh, no. <clears throat> all right. Well, last Friday, man, I watched all these movies over the weekend, huh? Just putting that all together. Uh, last Friday, I was just curious of what movies were coming out this weekend, so I looked at the AMC app, flipping through, and I noticed that I was not aware that uh, they're going to be doing a screening of Enter the Dragon. Oh. And it's my friend Wes's, one of my friend Wes's favorite movies. So I sent him a text like, did you know that they were showing this tonight? And he's like, no, but I need something to do. Do you want to go? And I was like, fuck yes, I do. So we went and yeah, watched Bruce Lee go undercover in an underground fighting tournament, which as everybody knows on this show is one of our favorite subgenres. Subgenres of films are underground fighting tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to watch Bruce Lee and John Saxon uh, kick, a bu- kick a bunch of ass. This ties into our main topic too, right? Didn't the... Uh... The bad guy in Dreamscape say he saw he this in theaters six times. Yeah. Uh, yep. So I got to see uh, him and John Saxon kick ass. Uh, Jim Lee. Or not Jim Lee. Uh, fuck. I completely just blanked what his actual name is. Jim Kelly. God. Um, it's so weird and, to me that uh, John Saxon's in that movie. Right? And then when you read up on it, you find out he's like a brown belt in Taekwondo. And I was like, oh, shit. He just does not uh, come across as a brown belt. Uh, and then, of course, Bolo is in it, the big dude from Bloodsport. Of course. Uh, and then uh, Sammo Hung and Jackie Chan are super small parts in it. So, yeah, it's just uh, just a lot of fun. I was super excited. I got to see it on the big screen, and the transfer was pretty good. Um, then my girlfriend and her daughter came over and hung out this weekend. And her daughter's 15, and she is uh, in the drama group at school. We were trying to find something to watch, and I forgot I had a copy of uh, a movie called Theater Camp from last year. Okay. And I had heard from somebody that it's actually funny, because I assumed it was like a high school musical type of movie. Um, so we watched it, and oh my god, it is fucking hysterical. Really? Because it is done, it's almost, if someone told me... Hey, Christopher Guest has a new mockumentary movie out, but he's not using any any actors he's ever used before. It's all new people. Like I would have believed it because it's like yeah, like a fake documentary of people of people at a theater camp um, and stuff, and it's just fucking hysterical. Uh, Amy Sedaris plays like the the leader, like the the owner of like this theater camp that goes every summer, and they're at the beginning of the documentary is supposed to be following her around and she has some weird medical thing. And she goes, she has a seizure and goes into a coma. So then her son, who's like a, who's like one of those, uh, crypto bros online has to like run her camp for this summer. And of course he has no idea how to do any of that shit. So it's him trying to like figure out how this theater camp works. Meanwhile, he's like shooting all of his videos on his cell phone. Um, crypto bullshit um and then of course there's people who were students at the theater camp but are now like um teachers there and stuff and just 
goes into all sorts of stereotypes about theater kids. And I asked my, asked uh, Marissa, I'm like, how accurate is this? And she's like, Oh, it's pretty accurate. I was like, that's funny. Um, so it's really funny. Uh, if you like a good mockumentary, um, theater camp, um, it's great. Uh, we decided to keep the theme going. So then I turned on, uh, Hamlet two, which is Steve Coogan as like a drama teacher at a high school. Um, he, uh, like they keep like diminishing his role at the school. Like the drama club keeps getting shit on and they keep taking classrooms away from him where he's eventually just teaching it in the gym, like while volleyball games are going on. (laughs) That's mildly entertaining to me. (laughs) And, uh, he eventually like it's dosed with acid or somebody, something by one of the students because the school has taken away so many electives that drama is now the only like, uh, sort of like bullshit class that you can take. So all of these students who have never been interested in, in uh, drama before taking it and they're all played out because this takes place in Tucson, Arizona. So they're all like dressed up like, like, Oh, these are going to be like the thug kids from school. And <laughs> He goes to talk to like one of the, the kid who keeps disrupting class all the time. He goes to talk to his parents and he's like, look, I'm just saying, I know your son's into a lot of bad things. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, I mean, he's really disruptive in class. He's like, my son has like a 3.9, like grade point average. And it just turns out, no, he's just really bored in this class and is just fucking it up for no reason. Um, but so they end up like dosing the teacher with acid and he goes home and writes, uh, this play that he's decided he's going to put on. It's called Hamlet two. And essentially we find out someone's like, how can it be Hamlet two? Doesn't like everybody die at the end of the first one. He's like, well, I have a device for that. And somebody reads the first line and it says the time machine shows up with Hamlet and Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and he's like, that's the device. Well, that'll do it. <laughs> so then like people find out about this play and stuff. And this, he's going to put it on because it's essentially going to be his last semester because they're eliminating the drama program. And he decides he's going to put on this play and it's his play. Like he wrote it. He's finally going to do it. And the, the school is trying to like cancel him from doing it. And he gets like the ACLU involved who says that they can't cancel it, but it's this like highly offensive, like play with like a time traveling Jesus. There's a musical number called that's called rock me sexy Jesus. And so you get all these people protesting it and shit. And it's just, I don't know. It's insane and kind of funny. And meanwhile, uh, his, his wife played by Catherine Keener, who I know Doug's a big fan of, mm-hmm. um, is, uh, keeps telling him how much of a loser he is and stuff. And, uh, spoiler alert. We find out that, uh, she's cheating on him with their, their roommate that they, uh, let move in. Cause they were low on cash played by uh, David Arquette. So, it's uh it's like how you pointed, pointed out that I'm a fan of hers just right before you told us that she's a terrible, terrible character. No, she's <laughs> still great though. It was don't, uh, don't it's really it's a really funny also. movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's kind of in a weird way, it's almost a remake of the producers, kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean it's a very but he's not necessarily putting adaptation. it on Yeah, he's not putting it on so that it will fail. It's just the the play is so fucked up that it's just like yeah. 
But there is that aspect of the more fucked up it gets, the more attention it gets, and the more likely it is to succeed. You know. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, it's just it's just funny, like all the shit that keeps popping up, and then when you find out more and more about the play, it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, that movie's been recommended to me a few times over the years. I've just never. Well, someone will recommend it to you again in a couple months, and you'll finally watch it. Uh, so then the next day, uh, we went to the movie theater and saw the new movie Argyle, which is the new Matthew Vaughn movie. Right. With, um, Bryce Dallas Howard and Sam Rockwell in it. I'm a big fan of Matthew Vaughn's crazy action movie stuff. And then on top of that, I'm a big uh, Sam Rockwell fan. So anytime he's one of the leads, I'm always excited to see him. Uh, I don't know. The movie's kind of fun. It's, um, it's, I don't think it's as good as like his Kingsman movies, but still got some fun stuff into it the main plot though comes off like that um weirdly like that uh sandra bullock movie that came out a couple years ago um the lost city of z or whatever uh whatever one that was sort of like an update of romancing the stone oh, okay kind of got a little bit of that bryce dallas howard's like a an author who writes um spy books and i guess one of them she wrote was something that actually happened that nobody knew about um okay so then like like uh the criminal organization that she wrote about is sending people out to kill her because they think she knows something so then this other guy who's a spy has to intervene and save her played by sam rockwell and so you know it's kind of a back and forth and cool spy stuff happens with crazy action and whatever else so it's pretty good it's worth a watch um she does uh she does play out some of the books and stuff like because we sort of open she's at like a book reading like reading part of the her latest book and then later she's writing like the new one or something and in those like um story beats when she's doing that the story plays out where the lead spy is played by henry cavill and then uh his like his his got his computer guy in the car is played by john cena so that stuff's kind of fun. Um, then like when real spy shit starts happening, she's like, Oh fuck. And then, you know, sometimes she will sort of see her character <clears throat> doing some of it, and, you know, whatever. So we get some Henry Cavill and John Cena team up, which is a lot of fun. And yeah, I don't know. it's a good movie. If you like yeah. Matthew Bond movies, I'd say it's a recommend. I'm concerned that, um, that his stuff is growing stale. I always liked his stuff a while ago. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it seems like based on trailers, having not seen the movie yet, that it's kind of like trying to do the same thing over and over again. Uh, I could completely get that. Um, me and Cindy were talking about it afterwards and she's never seen the Kingsman movies. Right. So I told her, I'm like, oh, you should watch them. They're good. And then she watched uh, the first one last night and was talking to me about it. And we went over some of the plots and stuff. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of this plot that is in Argyle. I just realized. Yeah. So, yeah, there, I could definitely see that being an issue. So maybe he'll go back to doing more subdued stuff. Cause he used, he did, um, he did like, um, uh, wasn't necessarily like spy. It was more like a hitman type stuff in that movie layer cake years ago, with Daniel Craig before he became James Bond. Right. I remember that one being pretty good and it wasn't like the super hyper action like this movie is it was more of like a i guess like a usual suspects 
type of story. Okay, I never actually saw that. Yeah, I remember it being good. I haven't seen it since theaters, but um, yeah. So I don't know if you're a fan of what he does. I would say it's a recommend. Maybe wait till streaming or something. But um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe he'll have a better. Uh, um, no, maybe he'll find something interesting to do for his next movie. Because I do agree with you. Once the movie was over, I was like, yeah, it's a lot like the rest of his stuff. Which yeah. it's not always a bad thing if you, if it's what you're super into or if you're just in the mood for it at the time. Yeah, you yeah. know. But um, I think he was hoping this was going to start up a franchise, but it did not do very well at the box office this weekend. So only made like $18 million or something. I was, I was debating going to see it, not because I want to see it, but because I was, there doesn't seem to be anything else. <laughs> so yeah. It's that or that international space station movie, which I'm like, which I'm curious about. I, I think the idea of it is neat, but I just feel like they, if it was going to be good, I'd know more about it. Does that sound weird? No. Um, the director was on um, the movie Crypt with Adam Green and Joe Lynch. Mm-hmm. And kind of going over it, which I was sort of like, eh. Then after I heard him talk about it, I was like, oh, okay, maybe a little bit more interested. Um, maybe watching another trailer for it or something. Yeah, and since I have A-list, movies are essentially free for me, as long as I see two a month. So... Maybe I'll check it out. Um, Then the last movie I saw was last night. and It was the second of those uh, mystery horror movie screenings. Right. And um, so me and some friends went, uh, didn't know what it was going to be. And the movie started and it was the movie Lisa Frankenstein, which is coming out. Well, I guess will be out by the time this goes up. Right. Um, the movie is directed by Robin Williams' daughter. It's her first, uh, her, it's her directorial debut. Uh, written by Diablo Cody, which could turn some people off. Um, so it's set in the 80s. Uh, this girl is living with her dad, just got remarried recently. So she's sort of living in a house with her new stepsister and her stepmom, trying to figure figure life out. Of course, she doesn't fit in anywhere. Um, but she's obsessed with this um, gravestone from the local cemetery. It's like super old. It has like the carving of the person in it um, as part of the tombstone. Uh, something weird happens. Uh, the dude ends up coming back to life, even though apparently he lived in like the 1800s. That plot point doesn't make any sense whatsoever. doesn't matter. Um, and so she essentially has like a zombie slash Frankenstein-esque uh boyfriend essentially um he's like missing a hand and he like is one of his ears has fallen off and they quickly find out that uh through shenanigans that if they kill people and take their body parts they can like sew them on and then they'll have a new hand or a new ear or whatever uh so then it becomes this sort of like who don't we like that we could kill for body parts um, I saw the trailer and I thought it looked mildly interesting, um, but I wasn't sure. And then after watching it, I really enjoyed it. Um, but it is like, as soon as the movie was over, I asked my two friends, I'm like, so what'd you guys think? And they're like, Oh, it was good. Um, this reminds me of Edward Scissorhands. And I was like, yes, I was like, so my, my description of it was if you take Lydia from Beetlejuice and pull her out of Beetlejuice, and then put her in the Winona Ryder role in Edward Scissorhands, 
you pretty much get like that. That's the movie you get here. Oh. And so it plays very much like a late 80s Tim Burton movie, which is very much a compliment because those were some of his best movies. Um, so it's got some humor to it. It's definitely got like um, like a, a definite um, look and feel to it with all the 80s stuff. So they use a lot of color in certain scenes. And then, of course, she's sort of the misfit one. So she's dressing in more and more black throughout the movie and stuff and sort of dark and depressing. And then he doesn't know how stuff works. So stuff is surprising to him. And, you know, it kind of goes around through there. And I ended up enjoying it. I thought it was pretty good, which I was kind of surprised with. And uh, I think it was, it was like I was saying with uh, my friends, I'm just like, maybe as like a secret horror movie screening wasn't the best choice because that's kind of not what I was expecting. But I still ended up like really enjoying it for the okay. Tim Burton-iness of it. So, yeah. So if you're interested, I would say it's definitely uh, something worth watching. That sounds interesting. More interesting than I expected it to be, to be honest. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Noah, I tasked you with deciding what we're doing for January next year, or next month. Mm, This feels like such a big ask. I have to pick between, like, three things. (laughs) Uh, Let's do Matthew Broderick's. Oh, okay. Project X and board games. Alan's picks next week. Yeah, we're technically screwing Alan over. Eh? Why? He originally he originally suggested what did he suggest? It's either Project X and War Games or Project X and the Manhattan Manhattan Project. And I made him pick one of those two to put on the list, and he went with the Manhattan Project. But then when I was doing February, I'm like, eh, it hasn't been that long since <laughs> I watched that. So. <laughs> Sorry, Alan. Fine. He's still got to pick two movies. <laughs> yeah. Could be some monkeys next week, though. That'd be fun. Even though I remember that movie being a little sad about monkeys. He has to say, it's like, isn't it apes, not monkeys? And then don't we love them? And then don't they get hurt? If I remember correctly. <laughs> yes. If you want to be tactical about everything. It's been a while since I saw either of these movies. So I'll be going in these pretty much blind i don't remember the plots of either of these movies i know i saw them in the 80s hmm. yeah, i've actually never watched war games before i want to say like the kid accidentally like logs into the what he thinks is a game but he starts might be starting a real war or something like that yeah i kind of know what it's about i've just never actually watched it watched it there's this weird thing in the 80s where there were a lot of movies that um people would be at home on their computer and they would accidentally log into other things. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't really do that back then. So it's like, it's weird that those movies came out then instead of now when that's like a real possibility now. <laughs> I don't know. It's a strange thing. Yeah. Cause if like in the eighties, if you had a home computer, I mean, maybe some people had modems that could connect to certain databases, but not really S- super fancy people who worked for the military. Maybe. Yeah, maybe Matthew Broderick's dad was in the military in that movie, and it makes total oh. sense when we actually watch it. I don't know. Yeah, we'll find out. Hmm. <clears throat> Matthew Broderick was just in um, No Hard Feelings, the Jennifer Lawrence movie. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he plays the kid's dad in it. Well, that's not nice. Why'd you say that? <laughs> <laughs> he 
He has gray hair. I felt really old. I'm like, that's that's Ferris Bueller. Yeah, I know. Why am I so old now? At least he's technically older than us. Yeah. Damn. <clears throat> I still need to watch uh, Election. I've never seen that movie. Me neither. I picked Less it up on uh, Criterion during one of their sales. Oh, yeah? Because I want to give it a watch. But, hmm. It's like I was listening to some podcast and they were talking about it. I'm like, why haven't I watched that yet? Then the next day, it was like, Criterion sale, and I was like, oh, fuck. Well, it's a perfect opportunity, I guess. It's weird, those movies that like I think are good, but I just haven't watched. There's such a long list of those. <laughs> I'll get to that someday. And then you get, a, you get a letter in your mail saying your doctor's retiring, and you're like, I'm old. I need to watch these movies before I die. Luckily, I was still young when my family doctor retired, so... Mm. My childhood doctor retired when I was like 19. I was like, oh, he must be very old. I'll never be that old. He was probably my age, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird moment. I have to find another doctor. I don't want to. Like, look, can I just come to your house and you uh, tell me what's wrong with me? Like, what's weirder, like that or like Carl Weathers passing away? And then I Google it and see how old he is. Like I, I googled it and look how old he is. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I guess people pass away at that age. It's just like it's not that shocking. He's only like seventy something now. Yeah, he was young-ish, but but Apollo Creed's supposed to live forever. Oh wait, <laughs> oops, <laughs> that's not even true in the movies. He died in Predator. He died in uh, Happy Gilmore. He died yeah. in a lot of things when you think he about died it. Died in Happy Gilmore. Still alive in Mandalorian. But I guess not anymore. Yeah. You see uh, Gina Carano's like Sue and Disney and Lucasfilm. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't see that, but I'm not surprised. No, she's she's claiming sexism because she got fired for saying political stuff and male male people who said stuff from the other side of the political spectrum didn't get fired. So she's like literally suing Disney for not being woke enough. I don't know. <laughs> so- <laughs> I don't know. I all of these people. I'm like, if you want to be rich and famous actors, you're gonna have to learn how to keep your mouth shut. Companies right? don't want to be associated with certain views. You're a public figure. Go go get a job that you're not not the face of your organization. If you want to be able to do whatever you want. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember because I don't even think they fired her. I think her contract was up, and they just didn't renew it for anything else. Because oh, is that right? You no, know, thank you. So. I don't even know like if she even really has a case or not. Doesn't doesn't seem like the courts are going to order Disney to like sign a new contract with somebody if she wasn't under yeah. contract. But I don't know all those details. Then she went to go work for that uh, Ben Shapiro guy. He was going to make a bunch of right wing movies, mm-hmm. and guess what? Those don't earn jack shit at the box office. What a weird fucking world we live in. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Thank you.